The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Yes, we are here, and there is a little more pep in our step because we've got the WBC Heavyweight Championship. The man that I'm always with is going to say the lineal heavyweight title is on the line as well. Uh, as we get into the Big Fight Weekend podcast, Tyson Fury is back. He's fighting fellow countryman Dillian White. We're here to preview it on the Big Fight Weekend preview podcast. Much to get to. Special guests. Uh, anniversary story about Lennox Lewis getting knocked out. That's going to take twists and turns that you're going to love because it involves like people that have never seen a boxing match before. It involves the New York Yankees playing the Boston Red Sox. It involves all kinds of things, and it will all be explained, and it will all make sense. Uh, coming up, at least I pledge that. I'm the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is our insider here. We're uh, we're getting to know and partnering up with Dan Rayfield. He's back aboard on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Happy heavyweight title fight weekend. How you feeling? I'm excited, TJ. Anytime the heavyweight championship of the world is at stake, it's a big deal and it's fun. And it's not just any old title. It's the title. And you know, as you said in the intro, it's the WBC heavyweight championship, but it is also the lineal title. He is the man who beat the man who beat the man. And uh, it should be quite a scene at Wembley Stadium in London with uh, over 90,000 expected on hand. Uh, it'll break the record for uh, the fight that was there for the heavyweight uh, belts back in 2017, the fight of the year. I was there for that fight. Uh, Anthony Joshua, also from Britain, defending against Vladimir Klitschko. There's going to be even more people, I guess, for this fight than for that one. And uh, the folks that are going to be lucky enough to be in attendance are going to have a spectacle uh, like they've never seen. I know the 2017 fight turned out to be the fight of the year. If uh, Dillian White and Tyson Fury can put on a show half as good as that, then we're in for a real treat Saturday. Looking forward to that. Okay, so let's just begin on that point. And by the way, however you found us, social media link through the Big Fight Weekend website, uh, whatever the case is, Dan's social media, et cetera. Thank you for finding us, but make sure you follow or subscribe. And many more of you are doing that. By the way, if you were following and subscribing, you got an automatic notification that my man Dan Rayfield had talked one-on-one with Errol Spence uh, midweek with Errol talking to you about the possibility mainly, that, just recapping the Ugas fight, yes, but the possibility of fighting Terrence Crawford in his own words, what he thought, the timeline. My point is, if you are following or subscribing, you didn't even need us to tell you you'd have gotten a notification. You'd have gotten the light, the ding, whatever, that there was a new uh, Fight Freaks Unite podcast on this very podcast feed. So follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. At the risk of kissing up to you too much, too early. Don't have to do that, Excellent TJ. job, though, with Errol Spence and getting that on and getting that out there. And you're even more optimistic right now that this thing is going to happen and maybe happen here in 2022 after talking to him. I know that, right? I think so. I, again, as we've talked about, I mean, I don't get too too crazily excited until I see uh, that the fights are actually signed, sealed, and delivered. But basing it on the way that Errol Spence was speaking, and, you know, I have known Errol his entire career. I've interviewed him numerous, countless times, covered many, many of his fights. Yeah, I feel like he he's like he's not going to accept another fight. He's, you know, if his if his people come to him and say, you know, hey, you know, we tried on, on, uh, on making this fight, you know, why don't we do a fight against uh, Cody Crowley? You know, why don't we do a fight against Keith Thurman? Why, why don't we do, uh, you know, some other fight? You know, he's he's not going to put up with that. He's going to tell them, go make the fight. I mean, you know, within reason. I think I think he understands the legacy of the of the meaning of this fight because he's the one that brought this up to me. If if somebody wants to go listen to the podcast uh, where we did about about 20, 25 minutes, but the second half of it largely is strictly on the uh, prospect of the of the fight possibilities against Crawford, where he likened it to 
uh, our day is Leonard Hearns. Mm -hmm. It's not exactly the same as that because, you know, back in, uh, in the early eighties, when they had their first big mega fight, they were still on the rise. They were still in their early twenties. It was still a huge deal. Obviously one of the biggest fights in boxing history, frankly, Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford are, uh, still in their primes, even though they're older than that, but they're certainly closer to the end Give than the beginning. Give them your stat. We were talking off the air, and, I, and a couple times I had to say, my God, I, I should have been recording this already. Give them your stat about Leonard and Hearns as it relates to Spence yeah. and Crawford, because mm -hmm. this is why you're Dan Rayfield. Go. Well, I think, and I actually need to look it up to make sure, but I believe that, you know, at least close anyway, Remember, when, when Tommy and Ray had their first big mega fight to unify the welterweight titles, uh, they were young men at that time. They were early in their careers. I believe that, that Sugar Ray Leonard was about 23 years old and Tommy Hearns was about 26 years old. But the point is, they didn't have a rematch of that great fight until eight years later. And so at the time that they had the rematch, they were still, they were still considered obviously good fighters, but you know, past their best days at that point, obviously. The fact is, though, when they met in the rematch eight years later, they were younger in the time of the rematch or thereabouts or the same age as Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence are now, you know, who are in their early thirties. So Ray and Tommy fought eight years went by, they fought again. And even in the rematch, they were still either the same age or younger than where Spence and Crawford are. Now it's a different era. It's obviously, you know, you know, some 40 years later, but the point is it's time for Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford to fight. As, and, 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 uh, Errol said that, you know, if it's now, it's now or never. And he's right about that. There's no other time. I don't think you can make the fight bigger. It's not like there's other big opponents out there for them to take care of before they fight each other. Uh, they're only uh, going to be at this level of their game for so long. They, it's the opportunity to fight for the undisputed championship, assuming that the WBA and the Stanionis can't play ball. Um, you know, as, as, the, as the, the great referee Mills Lane said many times let's get it on i love it i love that uh all right so that's again go check that out fight freaks unite is that podcast it's on this feed on the big fight weekend podcast feed you're in the midst of the big fight weekend preview fury dillian white that's the main event wembley stadium um i want to tell you that coming up in a little bit we'll get some different perspectives besides just dan and his expertise uh, my guy from topheavyweights.com, Sean, will be here. You'll meet him on the podcast. He and I are getting to know each other kind of off the air. The only thing he focuses on is the heavyweights. So this is right in his wheelhouse. He has great historical perspective as well. So I look forward to hearing from Sean. We also get some perspective from England. About an hour outside of London is where David Payne, our colleague, resides, who's been writing about boxing over in the U.K. for 20-plus years. His site is boxingwriter.co.uk. David is known as The Boxing Writer on Twitter, and I love his perspective. Uh, and look, he's unabashed, Dan, that he is a Fury guy just because he loves the quotes. He loves the copy. He loves the personality when so much of it is dull and cliches and whatever. And now that guy is on the biggest stage defending in England against a fellow Brit. So David Payne will give us some perspective and the temperature as we get late in the week here on uh, on how it is ramping up for uh, White and Fury. All right, I want to circle back to one thing you said. You were there for Joshua and Klitschko, give the fans listening to us on this podcast an idea of what was it like day of? What was it like getting to and in Wembley? What was it like building through the <clears throat> undercard noise? Fighters come to the ring. You were there. You lived it. What was it like? 
I have said this before, uh, as a totality, the fight week itself, I believe I got there. I flew like Monday night, got there like first thing early Tuesday morning was one of the best fight weeks I ever covered. Matchroom Boxing did a spectacular job organizing everything from the workouts that were in Wembley Arena, which is the smaller venue that's basically across the street from the stadium, uh, to how they handled the press conference, which was done at the Sky Sports Studios, uh, where they had vans that took us every us out, outside of that downtown part of London. Uh, you know, everything about it was terrific. The weigh-in was sensational, the, the atmosphere. And then, of course, on the night of the fight, you know, when you go cover a fight at like uh, the MGM Grand or one of the big casinos or even like a Madison Square Garden or a Staples Center, you know, you walk up to at least from my point of view as a journalist, you walk up to the particular window or door where you're supposed to you know, get your credentials and you go in and, you know, you're a few feet from the media center and then you go out to the arena. It's really not a long haul. Wembley is such a massive, it's such a massive, not just the stadium, but the grounds that, you know, just to get to like the ring area. You know, it took like a half an hour, I guess, or whatever, to 15, 20. I mean, it was a long stretch of walk in and around. And then you walk out on the pitch, as they call it, and you look around and it is just massive. And it was a chilly, chilly day. Um, had the fleece on, obviously. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it, and it started to fill up. And, it, you know, by the time that the, the started to get dark, you know, um, you know, once some of the undercard fights had taken place, then you really started to sort of feel, feel the, um, feel the atmosphere of what was going on. It was just extraordinary experience. And then once, once the main event is starting and they're lightning off the fireworks, when the guys are coming in and Klitschko's music is playing, you know, and I was very fortunate. I'm sitting like, you know, seven, eight feet from the ring with a perfect spot. And, and I do this for every big fight, even small fight when they're doing that moment, you know, I try to just take a deep breath, stop what I'm doing. If I'm writing, typing, whatever, and just look around and drink in the atmosphere a few minutes for, for a minute or two, just to feel what it's like to, to appreciate where I am. And uh, that was one of those fights where I won't ever forget that because it was, it, it takes your breath away when you see that many people focused on a little 20 by 20 foot ring in the middle of a giant stadium. It was incredible. It's incredible. And there were, now, big- I was, I was also fortunate by the way, I didn't have to fight the crowds coming and going because I happened to be staying in a hotel uh, that was walking distance. So there was no need for a public transportation. It was for me and for most of the folks that were involved, there was like two or three hotels that we were all at. Um, you know, it was like a, a less than a, once I got out of the stadium because it's, a, you know, after the press conference, but from that point, you know, it was like maybe less than a 10 minute, probably five minute walk to the hotel. So that was good. But uh, just, just a, one of the most memorable fight experiences I've ever had in terms of, uh, of covering a fight. And I don't do this a lot of places, but I remember being with uh, the, the great AP writer, Tim Dahlberg, when we were coming into the stadium and we stopped and took pictures of each other, you know, with the big signage in the background, because it was such an extraordinary scene. I don't do that a lot, but for that fight, you know, we took photos and just to remember what it was going to what it was like. Love the nostalgia, the remembrances of being at Wembley for Joshua Klitschko from Dan Rayfield with us here on the <clears throat> big fight weekend uh, podcast. We are getting to the fury, uh, Dillian white talk. There'll be a lot of it. Dan's going to give a prediction a little bit later on. We got some great perspective because we have an anniversary week of an upset in the heavyweight championship. And it may tie into Dillian white here on Saturday, an upset by Haseem Rahman knocking out Lennox Lewis. The anniversary is this week from 2001. So we'll get to that as well as I, as I outline and tease what we're doing in a little bit. One more, because this may very likely be the case with one fighter, you know, landing the big punch on the other. What is it like at Wembley when Joshua began to hammer Klitschko into submission? 
what was that like with the 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 just cacophony if you will the 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 noise roaring if you will because it may very well be that for fury especially could be for dillian white on, on saturday what's it like no i mean it's just it, it actually even almost more so than when joshua dropped klitschko more than once and got the stoppage the and that was a giant roar and just an explosion of excitement what really was the 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 uh, intense moment of the of the crowd surge of that 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 electricity of the crowd uh, i guess in a negative way in one way was when klitschko dropped joshua and he was within a whisker of winning the title again then it was like it was uh, shrieks of like shock and what was going on with the fans there because obviously most of those people that had filled up the stadium were there rooting for anthony joshua being that he was the hometown british fighter and the, and the reigning champion it was his crowd uh, but but those moments when you when you feel that energy of you know, 90,000 people uh, when the exciting, exciting moment happens is just extraordinary. And for, for, for that fight in particular, because, you know, from about maybe like the fourth round on fifth round on the whole fight was just action packed. So the, the, the crowd was always in a frenzy and it just ratcheted up even more when those moments came where the men were knocked down and got up and just, uh, you know, the scintillating action is happening and uh, you just can't take your eyes off it and you feel the crowd. I mean, what can I say? I don't know how else to explain it. I mean, you, uh, you feel it going through you. And when you're that close to the ring, like I was fortunately there, not only do you feel the crowd, but you can also kind of feel the, the, the punches, not obviously physically, but you can, you can sense that there are really hard shots, thudding shots off these guys and, uh, and what they're taking and, re- and giving in return. So, like I said, I mean, it's one of the top handful of fights I've ever covered in, in my 20 plus year career. I've been ringside for, you know, zillions of fights and uh, you know, that's at the, one of the one of the ones at the apex because it is the largest crowd of a fight I've ever been to. I've been to fights like you know I was at Canelo seventy two thousand and seventy three thousand in an AT and T stadium last year, and you know Oscar De La Hoya fighting outdoors and Carson thirty five thousand, Miguel Cotto at Yankee Stadium over thirty thousand crowds like that. You know other other fights at Cowboy Stadium with Canelo fifty plus thousand, Pacquiao at Cowboy Stadium ninety thousand. So everybody that's going to be fortunate enough to be in that stadium. For that spectacle on Saturday, I envy them. I wish I was there. It's going to be fantastic. And hopefully, at the end of the day, uh, TJ, hopefully the fight, you know, remotely lives up to the hype. And I, I think I think there's a chance that it will, knowing the, the, the character of both of these fighters and the kind of uh, entertainment value that they bring to their fights. We will finagle a prediction out of you a little bit later on. Again, we got other guests coming. I just want to uh, go over a couple of things real quick in terms of, like, news of the week, et cetera. Uh, this story has come out on, on the day that we're taping here and we're releasing the podcast on Friday in the preview mode about Mike Tyson. Uh, anything he does seems like it's going to get attention, but especially if he's throwing fists and he was throwing (laughs) fists on an airplane, trying to fly from California to my state, to the state of Florida. People again, think I'm in the state of confusion. I live in the state of Florida. He was supposed to fly from San Francisco. I believed either Fort Lauderdale or Miami because he is part of don't laugh, Dan Rayfield and audience a cannabis convention and and kind of like uh, an educational thing on legalizing marijuana and the cannabis use. He was going to be there and be part of it. I don't know that he's a keynote speaker, but anyway, (laughs) somebody bothered him on the plane late night, Wednesday night, uh, an adult male intoxicated, apparently according to witness statements and according to Tyson. Now somebody that had had too much to drink, bothering him, trying to take pictures with him. This is before the plane obviously ever took off. And he put a whoop, on this guy 
And I'm just going to say it. I think it may have been a better action-packed moment than anything we'll see on the Fury White undercard uh, from uh, Queensbury Promotions because Tyson just wailed on this guy for a few seconds and then left the plane. Deuces, I'm out. He left the plane. No arrest yet. We don't know. Dan, what are your thoughts here? You covered Mike Tyson. What are your thoughts here? Everything he does like this is going to be in the news, obviously. I mean, I, what I, I, I saw the video. I, I don't have any more information, but I saw the video. I read the story. And uh, it, it appears as though that the person was just, you know, poking and prodding Mike. And you get to a certain point, you know, Mike has been in the public eye for his, you know, virtually his entire adult life. And so he's used to that to one degree or another. But, you know, even Mike, at some point, you're going to push him too far and uh, you're not going to like the results. So. Uh, you know, we'll have to wait to see what the what the legalities are. I hope it's not as serious as it looked on that video. Uh, but I, you know, again, I would I'd have to believe that this was not just a guy that said, "Can we take a selfie?" And then Mike started punching him. I I, I would have to believe that it was something much more, um, much more involved than that. I mean, and Tyson these days, taken, and the plane had not even taken off. Yeah, and the guy Tyson's can... Tyson's a pretty chill guy these days. Yeah. I mean, you know, what I saw Mike for a little while when I was out in Vegas for. Uh, I think it was the, I think it was the Sean Porter Crawford fight. Uh, maybe it was the, maybe it was the Canelo Caleb play. I think it was Canelo Caleb play. The point mm -hmm. is Mike was like, just, you know, he was there. People were, 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 were asking him for pictures and things like that. You know, he did have some security there, but he did, you know, motion some people over to take pictures. I mean, he's like a more, more often than not, he's more of a happy go lucky guy these days. So, you know, I have to think that somebody was really bugging him to have him unleash the fist like that. Maybe he's getting ready for a, Another exhibition with Roy Jones. Who knows? I, I don't know. But yes, that, whatever whatever Tyson uh, does, Mike Tyson we're talking about. And then we got Tyson Fury. Uh, again, Who is, by the famer. way, named after Mike Tyson. How about that? The Hall of Famer, legend. Uh, but yeah, I mean, wherever he goes. So uh, anyway, there you go with another with another version of uh, the heavyweights. Dan, stand by because we're going to talk about Hasim Rahman and Lennox Lewis momentarily with you. First, though, speaking of heavyweights, the guy from TopHeavyweights.com is Sean. I want to bring Sean on to talk Fury and Dillian White. And then Dan Rayfield is back with me shortly on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. As promised, been looking forward to talking with this guy as part of the Big Fight Weekend preview of Fury and White for the WBC heavyweight title. Who better to give me insight and analysis than a guy that deals with the heavyweights, not just some of the time, not just most of the time, but all of the time, he is from topheavyweights.com, and Sean is aboard with me. Good to have you uh, here on the preview podcast. How are we feeling as we're about to get this title fight between Fury and White finally underway coming at Wembley Stadium Saturday afternoon, U.S. time? TJ, it's a good feeling, and as a heavyweight fan and uh, someone who just enjoys working on it continuously, it's a rare enjoyment. So thanks for having me on, and... Uh, Everyone is excited. There's a real buzz flying around the planet. And uh, if people aren't tuned in on Saturday, they're missing something special. Because if they saw Fury versus Wilder, they know what the uh, entertainment level can go to. No doubt. And especially with the heavyweights, you know this. This is why you started your site. There's just something different. There's something more special. Uh, and, it, and it seems to have revived now with Fury and with Wilder and even with Anthony Joshua Alexander Usyk defeating him. We seem to have a little bit of a heavyweight rebirth in the last two, three, four years. And that plays right into your site and what you do, right? It's, it's, it's growing. It's happening. It's managed to stay alive during the lockdowns and everything that went on. I think uh, when um, the era ended uh, with the uh, 
defeat that Klitschko suffered against Joshua, I think that began a new a new era for heavyweight boxing. And um, there were so many great candidates and great contenders coming up at that time. And there's so many that we've never heard of that are currently coming up. There is a plethora of heavyweight entertainment. And I think for boxing on the whole, if the heavyweight division thrives the way it should, it only adds more energy to all the divisions and everyone wins. Well, I think that is uh, more than accurate, more than fair. Um, and Tyson Fury has a lot to do with that. You got to sell. And, and Muhammad Ali is obviously the ultimate, the standard. He needs his own wing in the Hall of Fame in terms of being able to sell and being able to promote. Uh, but there's no question when you have a flamboyant, boisterous, uh, entertaining personality that is the heavyweight champ, it does make a difference, does it not, just historically? It does. He, he transcends the sport. He's known outside of the sport and uh, he brings a level of charisma, a level, a level of personality. He's not afraid to say what he thinks. That's where the, the comparison to the great Muhammad Ali is worth mentioning because Tyson Fury will say what he thinks. And as the heavyweight champion, he's one of the few people on earth that can say what he thinks. And if people don't like it, he's still the heavyweight champion. <laughs> and it still it's, not, it's, it's not a democracy yeah and it carries weight in the figurative and literal sense because he's as big a heavyweight champ as we've had in a long long time in terms of height and weight i mean you're talking about a, about a six eight or six nine 270 pound heavyweight champ uh good luck trying to uh to, to dissuade him from being who he is the gypsy king and how he is yeah. i totally i totally get that part uh, on the point. All right, let's roll the sleeves up. Let's get into this. Uh, it has been, um, they, they have had this fight in the planning for a couple of years. And so now we are here. We are to fight week. We are to fight weekend as we release this podcast. 90,000 plus expected. We don't know what the true number is, but the belief is 90,000 plus expected. Let's begin right there, Sean, with mm -hmm. the atmosphere and how much that atmosphere will play into, if at all, this fight for both of these guys who are both from England, but Fury is obviously the conquering hero returning. How much is the atmosphere a big deal? What do you think? I think in the United Kingdom, this will be the dominant occurrence on Saturday night, and that's a big country, and the ripples will go across the globe, as I said before. This is... If this fight were happening in America with two American heavyweights, it would be a big night in the United Kingdom. That's the point of this. The level these two fellows are at is international. It's the top of the game. And I think in the United Kingdom, you're going to have almost everyone watching or knowing someone who's watching or asking someone what's happening if they're watching. Um, and I think it's going to be a huge... I think we're going to have close to 100,000 people. It's going to get really big. I think there's actually... Um, I think there's a swelling of interest in this event that is truly based on the sports merit, the merit of the contest. It, there's a lot of hype, but this one doesn't need hype. If you're a heavyweight boxing fan, if you're a boxing fan, if you're a sports fan, you know there's something big going on here. And it's on the line. Dillian White brings, he's one of the most dangerous guys on earth. He brings it and he's shown what he can do. And he's also been willing to fight the tough guys. He's, he's lost a couple, but he has shown that as a true contender, he'll work his way to that thing. He's the undefeated, not the undefeated, but he's the interim WBC heavyweight champion. I don't know how much weight that carries, but um, it's as big a challenge as you're going to see. Granted, it's not Anthony Joshua. It's not Alexander Usyk, but it's the next best thing. 
Voice of uh, Sean from TopHeavyweights.com. Visit that site. Find him at Top Heavyweights on social media as well. He does a fantastic job of nothing but the heavyweight division. And we're talking about contenders. We're talking about prospects. If it's anything going on worldwide with the heavyweights, be engaged with his site. And I, I have so looked forward to the first time I could interview you and what an occasion here for Tyson Fury, Dillian White coming Saturday uh, as we've been talking kind of off the air about when could we make this happen and Sean has agreed to make this happen, and hopefully uh, I don't frighten him off forever with this conversation prior not, to Fury no, no. and White. It's, 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 it's going to be a big fight weekend, and yeah, I think it's going like to be that. the best, and it, it all comes together. I love asking the questions this way. If Dillian White is going to pull the shocker, and right now the bookies, the bookies love everything in England, no matter what. They, they gamble on like the lift or, or what we call the elevator in the United States. They gamble on who, which lift is going to get to the bottom floor first. Yep. The bookies have this like 7-1, to 8-1 to one in favor of Tyson Fury. He even said midweek at the press conference, that doesn't mean anything. Anything can happen. If Dillian White is going to pull this upset, what's in the ingredients? What's in the recipe? How does it happen, Sean? I think he has the ability to be erratic. He's, he's a high-skilled, high-level heavyweight, but he can be erratic if he wants to be. And I think what I see happening is a situation where uh, Tyson Fury has sort of got him into a, a funk in the sense that Fury is controlling the action. But I think Dillian White can throw an, a dangerous punch from a dangerous angle something unusual, something based on a touch of desperation, but a touch of determination. And I think in the heavyweight division, if that goes through and you see the sweat fly off Fury's head, and next thing you know, everyone's on their feet and Fury is on his back. And now what's going to happen next? I could see that happening. And I think um, for, if Dillian White were to come out victorious, it would not be one of heavyweight boxing's upsets. It wouldn't go in that category. We've seen big ones, but this wouldn't be one of them. So he's right there and he's a legitimate contender right at the top, top five. And um, you're talking about someone who is a professional puncher in heavyweight boxing at that level um, with, and he, he is a power puncher. There's no doubt about it. He's shown it. So Tyson Fury is just a man and uh, every man can slip and make a mistake. And I think Fury showed in the Wilder fight, like I think it's debatable, but I think, Many would say that Dillian White has better fundamentals than Deontay Wilder, just in terms of fundamentals mm -hmm. of boxing. And um, Deontay Wilder did drop Tyson Fury twice in that last defense. And if Deontay Wilder can land a good one at least twice in a fight like that, that says Dillian White's going to get a few in, and he certainly punches hard enough. And Tyson Fury has been dropped. So the ingredients are there. And I would say seven to one or eight to one is um, is a good bet on Dillian White. But I think to me, the odds are three to one, three point three and a half to one. I think that's where I would leave it. I mean, I do expect Tyson Fury to to wear Dillian White down and to get to him between rounds eight to ten. If Dillian White makes something happen, I'd say it, it would be in the same range, eight to ten. Or it could go to a decision and it'd be a dramatic 12-round affair and someone earns the decision and it may go one way or the other. I don't think it's 8-1 to one or 7-1. to one. Like I said, I, I think even to say 3-1, to one, if you think about it literally, that's still quite a, quite a heavy favorite. 
Well, and Fury deserves that because the wins that he has, as you mentioned over Klitschko, yeah. the wins he has recently over Wilder. And by the way, as you were saying this, people people kind of forget you go back to the first Wilder Fury fight uh, of 2018. And Wilder dropped him twice in that fight, including dramatically in the 12th round in a fight that he was obviously losing. It helped him get the draw. You know yep. this, Sean, but for the audience, just to refresh, the 10-8 round in the 12th round got him the draw or Fury wins the decision despite being on his back and having to get up in the final round. Um, so he's been down is my point. He's been down in the first fight. Mm -hmm. He's been down in the third fight. It's not beyond the realm, but he could be down again. What about the argument, uh, MrTopHeavyweights.com, that Fury is so big, and with that jab, and he and he's very nimble. He is very skilled, even at his size, to be able to move around. That White is just not going to be able frequently enough to close the distance. And this is Tyson Fury controlling it with his jab, punches from the outside, frustrating him. What what do you think of of that subplot playing out and how it might play out? I I think it's real, but I do think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Tyson Fury was intelligent when he picked and he did even though Deontay Wilder picked Tyson Fury for the first fight Tyson Fury made the decision that I wish to be picked and he saw something there that he could take advantage of and that's why the deal was made um, Deontay Wilder's people believed that they had the perfect name the perfect setup he's come you know he's not he's not yet at that league or he's fallen too far from his difficulties um, Tyson Fury um I mean, just to go back to your question, do I, I guess a lot of what's happened with that good pick that he made over the last three fights is a mystique and an aura has been developed. And I think it's huge and I think it's real, but I don't think it's as real as people think. We're bringing um, Dillian White into the picture. It's a different heavyweight. He's got good reach. He's got good power. He won't be intimidated. He's been an A-side fighter. He's been a pay-per-view fighter. And if he wins, we're going to see not only a changing of the guard in terms of the top of the heavyweight division, but we'll see a changing of the guard in terms of the networks and the promoters yep. and the control of the heavyweight division. This is a fight where you have someone coming in who's not part of the promotion. He is from a rival company. And another interesting aspect, as our colleague and the insider on Big Fight, we on Big Fight Weekend, uh, Dan Rayfield points out, because this is a purse bid situation, there's no negotiated rematch clause on either side. So if White gets the upset, he's not obligated to give Fury a rematch, at least in theory. You would want that rematch, I believe, if you are dealing in White, because you will make two, three, maybe five times what you're making the seven million guaranteed. Uh, for a rematch, but that, that's a very fascinating point. Just one more time before we get out of here, that it, sure, sure. whoever wins, there is not an automatic re rematch clause no. in this fight, I no mean, matter what happens. Oleksandr Usyk is the unified heavyweight champion, um, and uh, obviously he brings a lot more. And you mentioned size earlier on, and I think that's another thing which makes the heavyweights really special is that if you've got a guy who's six foot two, two hundred and twenty pounds, and he is the best. In the case of Usyk, he's six foot three, 225 pounds, but that's plenty big enough. And that's plenty hard hitting enough. If you're at a certain level and you're over that weight, you could be 300 pounds, 350. The guys hit hard enough at that weight. And, and that's what makes the heavyweight special beyond 200, 225 pounds, high skill. That's a dangerous fella. And uh, there's no man on earth that can take those punches and just uh, ignore them. 
Well, we'll see how it all plays out. I did hear you a little a little bit ago in the conversation. If you were listening before I ever got to my question of who wins this, you believe Tyson Fury likely wins it, but it goes for a while. That's kind of yes. if, if I if I heard you correctly. Uh, conventional wisdom is that Fury does do well as the fight goes on. He did that with Klitschko. Mm-hmm. He did that with Wilder. But you believe this will have to go for a while for him to ultimately get the victory if he's getting it. Yeah, he's not a he's not a Mike Tyson. He's not a Rocky Marciano. He's not a come forward and knock people out type fighter. He's a fighter that comes out, uses his skills, uses his jab, susses out the opponent, sees what's there, and then he starts slowly starts turning up the heat in rounds four and five. Dillian White's got plenty in the tank and plenty in the skill set to be there beyond six or seven. I don't see either one of them. Well, if there was an early knockout. In my mind, no doubt it would be Dillian White. Mm. No doubt. And we should point out that the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder fight had Wilder down in the third round and then Fury down, and Sean knows this, but I'm just saying it again for the audience, Wilder Mm. had Fury down twice in the fourth round right after that. Right. Right. In the win over uh, in the loss to Alexander Povetkin, going back to August of 2020, he had dropped Povetkin a couple of times in the first four rounds, mm-hmm. but then the thunderous uppercut came in round five. So the fireworks were all early in both of these guys' recent fights to indicate we might see that at Wembley Stadium Saturday night, UK time, Saturday afternoon, we, US and Canada time. We, we will. Might. We will see it. We will see fireworks in those first seven, eight rounds. It will be fireworks from the beginning. There'll be energy. It'll be Wembley Stadium. You're going to feel massive energy. The boxing fans will be there. You will feel them around the world. Those two are entertainers. They know what they're bringing. They know that the the more entertainment they bring, the more money they're going to make the next time out, win, lose, or draw. And uh, you're going to see fireworks. But I don't think it'll end in those first seven rounds. I believe it'll be fireworks, but when things get beyond seven and eight, whoever's fireworks have been more effective will probably come out the winner. But a haymaker or a, a sudden—I mean, Pavetkin—that punch that he landed on White—that uh-huh. would have not—that would—that would have knocked out any heavyweight. Yep. So that's there's no shame in that, and uh, I think, uh, yeah. It's different in boxing. One punch can change everything, and we're going to find out what it might or might not change on Saturday for Tyson Fury's first defense ever in the UK uh, in the WBC heavyweight title fight with Dillian White. What else in closing, my friend? Anything else before I, we're done? I'd like to know your prediction, TJ, on what's going to happen I, on I have, uh, Saturday I have night. believed all along that Fury is the more skilled fighter, and exactly along your lines, I'm not just saying this to make you feel good, I believe it's later. He wears him down, he gets to him later, and I think you will probably see a stoppage before it gets to the cards. It is interesting, no British judges, all foreign judges, I think I saw... Um, uh, Canadian, Mexico, and U.S. It is a British referee, but if it gets to the judges, none of it is the British judges, uh, which there's been some controversy over there, but I don't think it goes to the judges. I think ultimately it is Fury getting to him, wearing him down, doing what he did to Deontay Wilder the last two times that he fought him. We'll see if Dillian White can be better, can do differently, especially if he gets into deep water, as we like to say. Seventh round, ninth round, 11th round, what happens? We're going to find out. It's Yeah, we'll find out. It's not triangular. Remember, if you're in the U.S., it is in the afternoon. Uh, obviously, in the United Kingdom, everyone knows when it is. But, um, yeah, it's not triangular. Just because fighter A beats fighter B does not mean B beats C, et cetera. That's not how it works. So, it's uh, no, it's if you're, you'll be on the edge of your seats. So, be ready. 
and don't step away. It'll be uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, go to the fridge, go to the bathroom before this gets underway because it could be over in one. We don't we don't think it will be. But it's boxing. Welcome to the unexpected. It could be over in one, one way or the other. You never know. Uh, Anything can happen. Yeah, no doubt. Again, one more time, topheavyweights.com. We encourage them to engage with you on your site, on your social media under top heavyweights. Sean, I've had a blast talking with you here. I look forward to more collaborative stuff here, especially around the heavyweight division with what you do with your site, with what we're doing on Big Fight Weekend. Thank you, and let's hope we get a good one, if not a really good one with Fury and White one more time. Fingers crossed. It looks good. TJ, to all of you at that Big Fight Weekend, thanks very much for having me on. It's a pleasure. All right, fight fans, WBC heavyweight title fight coming on Saturday with Tyson Fury taking on Dillian White, the first title defense for the Gypsy King in the UK ever. It's going to be so much interest in this fight. And if you're looking to wager on Fury versus White in the fights this weekend, or really any weekend coming up, do it with our friends at BetUS. They are America's favorite sports book. They've been doing this for almost three decades now. You want to take advantage of an offer that we have. They've got great lines. They've got round props. They've got parlays. They've got anything you want to utilize betting, not only just this weekend, but whenever on whatever sport. And our offer is this. Use our promo code BFW22. BFW22 for Big Fight Weekend. And you get a 125% match bonus on your initial sign-up. If you're a first-time wagerer making a first-time deposit, put that promo code in. And automatically, you're going to get 125% matched on your initial deposit. Put 100 bucks in, that means you're going to get 125 more to gamble with. Do the same thing with 200 bucks. Now you got 250 to gamble with, and so on, all the way up to $1,000 on the initial match bonus with our promo code BFW20. Two. So again, that is all part of what they're doing at BetUS. Your bets are 100% guaranteed. The payouts are fast. If you want to take advantage of the wagering this weekend, do it with our friends at BetUS. Go to BetUS.com. Go to the BetUS app. And remember our promo code. It's BFW22 for you to get a 125% match bonus on the initial sign-up. First-time users, get in. Use our promo code. BFW22 for that match bonus savings. You bet, you win, you get paid with BetUS. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. All right, love his insight. Love to further the relationship with TopHeavyweights.com. And again, check out Sean on social media. He's going to be going crazy, as he was saying at the end of our conversation, ready for this heavyweight title fight Saturday afternoon, U.S. time. I'm going to bring Dan Rayfield back in, our insider, as part of BigFightWeekend.com. I have not yet plugged. Go to Dan's Substack, Fight Freaks Unite, and Substack.com is where you find Dan's Substack. You get great information there, as well as reading him on BigFightWeekend.com. So Dan is back in. Uh, give the audience an idea again before we talk some Lennox Lewis and the anniversary of him being KO'd by Haseem Rahman uh, 21 years ago this week. That on the timeline, when is the fight, the main event uh, slated to happen? U.S. time, adjust your time zone accordingly. What does it look like for Saturday afternoon in the United States? Well, the pay per view telecast you know, with the televised undercard starts at two o'clock Eastern time, and then there are four other bouts that are on the card prior to the main event, but. Uh, I don't believe the main event will walk before 5 p.m. Eastern time. And, you know, again, people always ask you, when is the main event going to start? Well, boxing is not like 
uh, you know, you don't know exactly when it's going to start because unlike a football game, that's going to run four quarters. I mean, there's timeouts and things, but it's generally going to run around the same time in boxing. If it's a 10 round fight, it could go 10 rounds. If it's a 10 round fight scheduled, it could end up in 30 seconds with a knockout. So in a little tap dance between fights, but I would say if you really make sure you want to be, if you're, if you don't care about the undercard, and you're not watching, you want to make sure you're not missing any of that main event action. I'd be comfortably in your chair, uh, your seat or in front of your tablet, phone, PC or a computer, whatever the case may be. I would be there by no later than five o'clock Eastern time. Uh, it could perhaps it could go even a little bit later. It depends on how those undercard fights go. Uh, but, you know, don't cut it close, I guess is the point. Just put it on in the background and pay attention. Because like you said earlier, the undercard has a, leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, but we obviously have a very big time main event. And they're going to milk it. They're going to milk it even if, uh, I, I believe, this is my speculation, because again, uh, London is five hours ahead of Eastern time. I'd be shocked if it's if it's fighting before 10.30 London time, 5.30 Eastern time. I may be wrong about that. Well, no matter what time, the other the other ones end early. I think they'll go well, a little later, but that's just my, my, my recollection. My recollection, and I haven't asked about this particular fight, but my recollection from when I was there for uh, Klitschko versus Joshua is that locally, uh, because of the, the massive crowd that was there, they had a curfew uh, by which that they had to make sure that they were done or that they didn't start the main event any later than because of concerns about those folks that had taken public transportation to get to Wembley. Because most of the people that will be attending are going to take some form or fashion of, of, uh, of public transportation as opposed to just driving in their cars and tailgating and that sort of thing. So they're not going to milk it that long. I think they'll start it. It's not, we're not looking at a, if you're a Briton, uh, uh, viewer watching it on pay-per-view. It's not like sometimes we get here, the main event doesn't start till midnight. That won't be the case in, in terms of the UK time start. Uh, I think, you know, in, in, in uh, realistically, you're looking in that five o'clock-ish time. Dan Ray has got it all. Yep, he's got it all, including the timeline for the fight. Okay, again, more preview of the fight as we go along here. Uh, but let's go back. Let's go back to 21 years ago. So Dan and I were talking off the air. And again, I should have hit the record button, but I didn't have it available <laughs> to me for this. So we started talking about Lennox Lewis, Hasim Rachman. 21 years ago uh, this week, Rachman shocked the boxing world, winning the heavyweight title, not unlike the position Dillian White is in. And I think it's maybe fair that Dillian White is a more known commodity than Rachman even was. Dan will set me straight on that. But Rachman landed the one big punch in South Africa, scored the knockout, scored the upset of Lennox Lewis. And you began to relate a fascinating story to me. And you better be, you better do as good a job recreating it as you did before, because I'm going to keep you on the tracks and prompt you if you don't do as good a job recreating what you said to me earlier, because this is great stuff. And then I'm saying to the audience, I'm pulling the curtain back a little bit. I'm going to talk about something around that that's going to make Dan jealous, guaranteed, it's going to make Dan laugh because it involves his New York Yankees and it ties into this fight and that night and he doesn't know what it is. So tell yeah, your right. part first that I know what's coming so that the audience can get clued in. You, you did not tell me the end part. So you're right about that. No, but the way that it started was we were talking about what we were going to what we were going to talk about on today's uh, podcast. And, and uh, in my Substack newsletter notebook today. I always do what they call what I call the show and tell where I usually put up a piece of memorabilia or two, usually on an anniversary thereabouts. And so I posted in today's uh, Thursday's newsletter was my poster and program from that Lennox Lewis Hasim Rockman number one that took place in South Africa 21 years ago uh, on Thursday. But it was the fight was early in the morning, South Africa time uh, on the Sunday, like five o'clock in the morning to accommodate the United States primetime broadcast on Saturday, because obviously the United States uh, is behind by several hours from South Africa. So we were discussing that fight. And I mentioned 
that Hasim Rockman had been in South Africa for about three weeks to a month before the fight, training, getting ready, while Lennox Lewis was off in Las Vegas uh, um, less than three weeks before the fight, filming scenes for Ocean's Eleven, <laughs> the first film with his Love. trainer, Emmanuel Stewart. Love that Vladimir movie. Klitschko. Yeah. So, so I was there on the set the day that they were filming those scenes because I had been sent to Las Vegas. I was working at USA Today as the boxing writer at that time to cover the Prince Nassim Hamed Marco Antonio Barrera fight, which was the, that I got to Vegas like on the Monday, but the following Saturday was the fight. But the reason I was there so early was not only because I was going to be covering the fight, was because it was sort of like killing two birds with one stone. Because the Klitschko brothers were on the set as part of the film, and they were still not that well known in the United States, but they obviously had an interesting story to tell. I was going there to meet them, interview them, do a major feature for USA Today about the brothers. So I spent the day with them one day early in the week when they were filming the fight scene. So I was on the set, hanging out with them, having lunch, doing the interviews, the whole thing. And uh, when I saw Lennox Lewis is not paying attention, uh, you know, to, or, or I'm paying attention to the, to the director and to the movie and all that, but clearly not in any way, shape or form thinking about his heavyweight championship fight that's less than three weeks away as well as his trainer, uh, the dear departed, my good friend, Emmanuel Stewart, um, I started to think to myself, he's not ready for this fight. And then later in the day, I saw him like uh, behind the scenes that people were just relaxing and he's eating junk food. And I'm like, this is not good. Now, fast forward to the day of the Barrera uh, Ahmed fight in the morning, they held the news conference for the American writers that were in Vegas covering the fight to help promote, promote the, the uh, heavyweight fight, Lewis and Rockman. So Lewis was on the scene at the MGM Grand Garden Arena and they had Rockman in by a satellite. And again, Lewis is not paying attention. He's very flip. He's very nonchalant. He's clearly not in the best shape. And uh, Rockman, meanwhile, has been down there in South Africa three weeks to a month. He's in top form. He looks incredible. He looks sweating. He's like, I've been living in a cave, training my ass off. And uh, just the way he spoke, he thought he's ready to fight that night. So I made the pick in my, you know, and I wrote something about it in USA Today later before the fight. I still consider my best pick of all time. I pick Rockman to win the fight mm. by knockout. And he did. So Documented. Documented. So fast forward to the fight now. Uh, I'm in touch with, uh, as I'm writing some advanced material on the match, I'm talking to the managers of, of, uh, of Hasim Rockman, Stan Hoffman and Steve Nelson, who co-managed him for a number of years. And uh, Steve in particular, I knew pretty well from some other guys that he worked with. And uh, he was lamenting about, you know, they're all by themselves in South Africa. They've got nobody rooting for them. They, they just, you know, they're just, it's their most immediate team. Even Rockman's family isn't really there uh, with them because it's such a long trip. And uh, he was like sort of half joking. I'm serious. Like I have all these tickets that we get and I, we have nobody coming to the, to the fight. So I mentioned to see, I said, you know, it's funny you say that. And this was totally by coincidence. One of my dearest friends uh, from when I was in seventh grade, uh, she and her husband had just moved for work related reasons for a temporary assignment that was going to take about two years in South Africa. They were living in Johannesburg right outside, uh, you know, half an hour from where the casino was, uh, where the where the fight was being held so steve nelson says do your friends want to go to the fight i've got all these tickets left over i was like they're not sports fans at all i mean the complete opposite never seen a boxing match in their life barely knew what boxing was don't watch football don't watch baseball i was like you know i'll see so i was in touch with my friend they had just moved there i said let me ask you a question are you interested in going to see a heavyweight boxing championship fight they were sort of like that sounds kind of cool so i was like okay so they put the tickets in their name and it will call and I said to her, you know, to her and her husband, I said, just remember, you know, this is not like you're going out to the fight thing, you know, go have a dinner or whatever. This is going to be early morning, like five o'clock in the morning. Sounds good. They considered it an adventure, she said. Right. So they right. drove out to the casino. They got to the, they went to the fight and uh, have no idea what they're watching. And uh, she calls me after about the second round of the fight. 
hey, I'm in my living room in my in my in my townhouse with, with my uh, then girlfriend, now my wife. We're watching the fight coverage. She says, who's winning? I have no idea. She's you know, I calling think you from the casino in South Africa Africa. while the fight is going on. Yeah, she's sitting in like the, you know, the fourth row, let's say. And she's like, who's winning the fight? I said, well, I think Lennox is winning, but we don't, it's boxing. You don't know who wins until either there's a knockout or they read the scorecards. Oh, okay, okay. So fast forward now, a couple of rounds later, Lewis, you know, gets dropped like a sack of rocks by one of the greatest Thunderbolt right hands that mm. uh, anybody ever threw in the heavyweight division. He gets knocked out and Rockman wins the fight and a gigantic mega upset becomes the heavyweight champion of the world. Um, but when, well, well, first of all, back up, when she called me about and asked me who's uh, winning the fight, she says, we're having a great time, but who's winning? You can't just look at the scoreboard like you're on a, on a football game or a baseball game. Uh, then the fight ends and obviously they, uh, they're on the way home in the, in the early morning hours. And she calls and I, I was trying to explain to her like the magnitude of what she had just seen, uh, that she had just seen like in person, one of the great upsets of all time. She now, by the way, her and her husband have never been to a boxing event before that. They've never been to a boxing event since that. Just so happened to see that. Now, one thing I did not know that she'd been doing to sort of prepare for this, uh, as she called it, an adventure to go see this heavyweight title fight is all through during the week leading up to the fight. She is uh, reading the, the daily newspaper that they get in Johannesburg and some of the local media. And she was saving all of the stuff on the fight. And so when it was over, she said, you know, do you, do you want this? Because, you know, I read it and went to the fight and I'm going to throw it away. So, you know, I actually would be. So she sent me this big package of all this material on the fight. I read all of the local coverage of the South, fight. Yeah, South African newspapers, et cetera, yep. stuff you would not have easy access to in the United States. No, question. Yeah, not even stuff that you'd find on the internet. Remember in 2001, a lot of these Publication weren't even on right. the internet. I mean, the internet was still kind of newish, I guess, to that to that level of uh, media. So, a couple of weeks later, I get the big package. I read through all the stuff, and I have an occasion to speak to Steve Nelson, the manager of Rockman. And I tell him that you know, if you remember, my my friends who went to the fight with uh, with the tickets, um, she sent me all the material on the fight. So I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna toss it unless you know, do you guys need it? Do you want it? Or do you? She says, absolutely. So I sent it on to. Hasim Rockman, who wasn't sitting there fight week collecting his, his clippings, and I, I hope he still has it, but Rockman got a nice packet of all the information and all the local media coverage of his buildup to his biggest moment of his life and his professional career of winning the heavyweight title, plus all the material that came in the days afterwards. And, uh, and uh, like I said, my friends went to a boxing match, saw a great upset, never been back before or after. I mean, they had to be at least, I mean, not, not knowing, but they had to be caught up in the moment uh, as shocking as it was. And the, and the celebration by Rockman. And, and of course he's running around the ring saying what now, because oh, of the he's, yeah, because he, he thinks because he does knock Lennox Lewis out that that had derailed the, the, the fact that we all wanted to see, which we all thought would be coming up if he had won Lewis was Lennox Lewis versus Mike Tyson. So he was running around the ring saying, no more, you can see it on the HBO broadcast, no more Lewis and Tyson. And I remember hearing that in my, you know, obviously watching that in my living room and being shaking my head going, they just destroyed this big, gigantic mega fight. Fortunately, after a lot of stuff happened uh, to, to cut to, you know, as they say on Seinfeld, yada, 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 they had a court ordered rematch and uh, Lennox Lewis knocked out Hasim Rockman almost as violently as he got knocked out in the first place, regained the title. And then they were able to pave the way to what at the time was the richest fight in boxing history between Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson in Memphis, Tennessee. But uh, getting there was not easy. Hasim Rockman had a lot to say about it, the derailing it at least temporarily. But uh, it was 21 years ago, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And your friends who've never been to a fight before or since were there because my man Dan Rayfield was the ticket master. Uh, I don't listen, by the way. I don't, I, don't get in, 
I don't get involved in tickets. Like I get people <laughs> asking me for tickets all the time. I mean, but they had all these leftover tickets from their allotment right. that were literally not going to be used. And what are the odds that I would have close friends that are living, you know, a gazillion miles away in South Africa. So they went to the fight. I thought you were going to tell me, and you did not earlier, and it's not the case, but I thought you were going to tell me that your friends ended up with Haseen Rockman, like in the hotel suite, or he came to their house with the championship belt and took pictures. That would have been the perfect capper, but that's fairy tale. That's not real life. Still, it's an incredible story. What a story. I mean, if Rockman still has the clippings from his heavyweight championship fight, it's because my friends are up and living in South Africa. Okay. David this is the part that Dan does not know because you can't wait me for this when you were telling the story and I'm going to deliver brother. I am going to deliver <clears throat> because this involves your New York Yankees. So you do not know this from earlier when you were telling me. So my wife and I got the opportunity to go to New York city because there was a media event around the HBO. You're a big, you're a big HBO guy. So am I. The HBO release of the movie 61, the Billy Crystal oh. movie about yep. Roger Maris chasing the home run record of Babe Ruth, he and Mickey Mantle. Billy Crystal made a made-for-HBO movie, direct HBO, not in the theater, about the Roger Maris chase because he's such a big Yankee fan, such a historian about all of that. And they got Barry Pepper, the actor, to play Roger Maris did a phenomenal job in it. So anyway, the movie is going to debut on HBO and they did a media junket. And I was affiliated with, in the Tampa Bay market, a top 10 radio market. So they invited uh, a radio host and a guest to come to New York. That's me and my wife at the station. I got selected as, hey, you're the, you're the guy that we want to go and be there. You're going to get to meet Billy Crystal you're going to get to say hello and sort of meet and greet Barry Pepper, the actor that played Roger Maris. He's been in some other movies uh, as well. By the way, uh, DJ, let me interrupt for just All one right, quick please. second. Our boxing fan viewers will know Barry Pepper as the voice who does the narration for All Access on Showtime. Okay, Barry Pepper on Showtime. Okay, very good on that. Uh, and he's, he's been in some other uh, movies as well. Uh, okay, so we fly to New York on, uh, on Friday afternoon. Uh, we go and we have dinner as a group, and the HBO people are there, not Billy Crystal, not uh, Barry Pepper. The next day, Dan Rayfield, I do not exaggerate, we have tickets to be in a suite at Old Yankee Stadium, not just for any game, but Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees are playing the one Eastern time game. So we are all there in the suite taking pictures with each other. Billy <clears throat> Crystal comes in and around the suite taking pictures. Hi, hello. That night, we are now to be with them for the premiere. We're going to watch the premiere of the movie before it is out so that we will come back and talk about it on the radio, uh, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so I, I'm just going to make you jealous. I was at Yankee Stadium that day, and, of course, the Yankees had won the World Series, what, three years in a row, correct? 98, 99, 2000. This is the 2001 season, right, for your Yankees. Uh, they're playing the Boston Red Sox, who had the likes of uh, Trot Nixon, Manny Ramirez, my man Carl Everett from Tampa on the Red Sox. Your three-time defending New York Yankee world champions had the likes of Chuck Knobloch leading off, Derek Jeter batting second, Paul O'Neill, Bernie Williams. How am I doing on the nostalgia? David Justice, Tino Martinez, a Tampa guy, Jorge Posada, Alfonso Soriano. These are the Yankee dynasty that have won three championships in a row. 
I would I would love to tell you that the Yankees won that day, but the Red Sox clobbered them. I remember that the Red Sox had clobbered them, but we're there that day, April 21st, 2001, as part of this junket. We watched the Red Sox-Yankees. I think we left in like the eighth inning. They finally said, hey, the game is running long. We want to get you back to the hotel where you guys can clean up, change, and then you're going to be at the HBO party for the debut of the movie. So we go into the HBO screening room the theater screening room and Billy Crystal is there. Barry Pepper is there. We get to meet and greet a little bit, talk to them. Billy Crystal talks about the movie. Now enjoy the movie. We watch the movie. We end up, my wife and I, we have a great time. We end up flying back uh, the next day as it turns out. Okay. Here's what I remember after the movie and after everything is over with, and we've been around Billy Crystal, we've been at the Yankee Red Sox game that day. We get back to the hotel and the fight is over on HBO. Uh, and I don't believe the broadcast was still on. They've shown the live broadcast and the post fight is over with the Rockman knockout. So I am trying to catch up watching like ESPN Sports Center because again, HBO has gone to movies in the room and the internet is primitive. ESPN doesn't have video. I don't think it was embargoed. They're showing like still photos of the knockout and the internet. And I'm like, Lennox Lewis got knocked out by who in this fight? Just like everybody else. So I had a valid excuse for not watching the title fight that night because I was hobnobbing with Billy Crystal, Barry Pepper, and at the HBO studios for the 61 premiere that came out like the next week or two weeks later on HBO after I had been at Yankee Stadium watching your Dan Rayfield New York Yankees lose to the Boston Red Sox. Did I deliver on intertwining your Yankees? That's pretty and good, man. HBO, HBO broadcasted the fight that night with Jim Lampley and Larry Merchant and I think George Foreman on the call or yeah, I think that's who yep. it was. Yep. How about that for a where were that, we? That's, that's pretty good. And by the way, 61, if you're a baseball fan is a hell of a movie. I, I enjoyed uh, that. I've seen that a couple times. It's tremendous. And how about this uh, a little factoid or two that Billy Crystal's daughter plays the female lead as Roger Maris's wife during the movie. And so you would think, okay, well, wait a minute. It was rigged. It was nepotism. How about this? They told Billy Crystal who is the filmmaker. He is the director. He's the filmmaker. We're going to audition the ladies for the lead for Roger Maris's wife. And unfortunately, you can't be part of the audition process. And he says, what? It's my movie. He told this story. It's my movie. They're, they wouldn't tell him why. They're like, you can't be part of the audition process. It's because right. his daughter was auditioning for the lead. And there were like five other people that were doing it. And it was like unanimous. She's Roger Maris's wife. And Billy Crystal had nothing to do with it. He wasn't there. He didn't even know she was auditioning. She never told him in advance. He told that story, believe what you will. So Billy, if you go back and watch 61 with the asterisk, HBO movie, $2 rental on, on Netflix or Amazon or whatever, Billy Crystal's daughter is playing the female lead with Barry Pepper as Roger Maris's wife uh, through the whole story in the movie. And like Howard Cosell, I remember because I was there at Yankee Stadium and at the HBO premiere while your friends were there. First ever fight watching Rockman knock out Lewis. This is crazy. We've gone down the rabbit hole, my friend. We have gone <laughs> down the rabbit hole on this. Uh, but you know, it's all right. We got, uh, when I thought of that being the anniversary this uh, week, Thursday, you know, that's why you never know what might happen Saturday when Dillian White, uh, not nearly the, as big of an underdog as, uh, as Rockman was against Lewis but has, you know, good power and has a good resume. And 
you know, you just never know. Lands a great punch. Ty- it's not like Tyson Fury is. Tyson Fury has been down several times in his career. Was down two times in the last fight. All right, so we're going to talk more about that. Dan, stand by. Dan's prediction and analysis on Fury versus White is coming, I promise. But let's go over to England now. The boxing writer David Payne has great perspective on Tyson Fury. This fight, the build-up to the fight, what are they saying in England? How big a deal is this going to be really across the landscape? Let's hear that conversation. Then Dan is with me to analyze and predict the fight coming up. Well, as mentioned, I could not do this and not have this man as part of it. Tyson Fury, Dillian White, who better to give me some insight across the pond than the boxing writer. Such a great perspective on the history of not only heavyweight boxing, uh, British boxing. He's got great insight on all of this. I love the boxing writer, David Payne. Uh, who is back aboard on the Big Fight Weekend podcast prior to Fury and White. It appears, my friend, good to be with you. It appears this is about to happen. Wembley Stadium, Saturday night, primetime in England, Saturday afternoon in the United States. I know you join with me. We are eager to see what unfolds. How are you? I'm in good spirits, good health. Thank you, TJ. Thanks for the invitation, as always. Good to be back on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Um, yeah, excited about the weekend. Looking forward to a good fight. Um, not much on the undercard to get excited about. It's all about that main event. Um, and it's proven this sceptic wrong. I didn't think it would do the tickets it's done. And obviously, it's had its fair share of potholes to navigate over the last few weeks. Um, but it looks like we're on. And um, a good fight in prospect, I hope. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's the thing. Uh, and, and convey this, please, for our audience. I mean, the British fight fans are rabid. They, they love the sport. We see, you know, event after event where there's popularity. Has this ratcheted up another level, maybe two levels? Because we would speculate, yes, that the eager anticipation building late in the week, 94,000 people, et cetera, it has ratcheted up. Is that the case, David, from what you perceive? I think there's kind of two stages to these things, aren't there, TJ? Well, certainly here in the UK, we have this phenomenal ticket-buying appetite. Um, The whole sold-out-in-10-minutes scenario, we all know it's via secondary sites, um, most of it. Uh, So that's another story for another day. We've we've kind of touched on that before. But it does lend itself to show the appetite for tickets is very strong, uh, stronger than I expected it to be for this matchup, to be fair. and then I think there's the other one, the kind of the slower build that happens in the mainstream press, the sporting press, you're more of your casual sports fan rather than your boxing diehard. And obviously this bout has suffered a little bit from the fact that um, it's not been, the, there's not been the antagonism between the two. We've not had the sequence of uh, press events that we would usually have um, until this until this week. Um, whatever the motivations of White declining those invitations was I'm not sure whether it was tactical whether it was some other frustration attempt at leverage on his on his purse I'm not really sure um and uh, who knows whether he is either but uh, so I think we've lost a little bit of uh, momentum there that they'll be hoping to regain as you say late this week as this podcast comes out later in the week we'll hopefully it's reaching fever pitch and everyone's eager to get this fight on their televisions for those who are not traveling down to london you have on more than one occasion in particular in and around when we've previewed tyson fury's uh, ultimate victories over deontay wilder the last two of them before and after said to me Listen, I am checking my uh, fandom right here. I'm checking in with my fandom on Tyson Fury. 
uh, right at the door because I just enjoy the personality. I'm paraphrasing here. I enjoy who he is and the makeup. So I see, I can see you. I see the smile on your face when I say that. Elaborate on how you're excited and many are excited that he's back in the ring and he's back in the ring in the UK for the first time in four years, David. Yeah, I think that's important. I think it will solidify his um, status here. Um, the Yes, I do always have to check my own um, persuasions, as it were. I do like the character. I like the rogue. I like the showman. Um, I think he's a terrific fighter, too. I think he's shown that in a couple of different ways, uh, an adaptability that one or two of his predecessors couldn't show, uh, namely Joshua, namely Wilder. Um, so I... I give him great credit for that. We'd like him to have been busier. We'd like him to have had 15 straight defences since the Klitschko fight. It didn't happen. Um, who knows whether it would have ever suited him. I'm not really sure. Um, but I think in a in a landscape that's not that far removed from the one that Klitschko dominated for 10 years, when we all fell asleep for a few years in the heavyweight picture watching Klitschko slowly drip, 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 water on a pebble, knock someone out over nine or 10 rounds, some fat 40 year old. Then um, I think Joshua gave us one sort of reset um, and Fury has proven to kind of reset the whole thing with his character, his personality, um, just the craziness of, of the guy, the slight unpredictability. I think he's, he's given us a lot and he said some things he probably regrets along the way and some things that people don't like. And I appreciate that and recognize that too. But overall, I think he's coming from a decent place and he's good entertainment. A voice of David Payne. Love David's insight. He's the boxing writer on social media. You also find him on his site, boxingwriter.co.uk. Love the insight of this man. And he'll be also uh, writing before and after this uh, WBC heavyweight championship bout ring magazine lineal heavyweight title uh, two from Tyson Fury taking on a uh, Dillian White okay let's get into the nuts and bolts of it let's start with from Fury's standpoint uh, what do you believe what kind of Fury will we see what what do you believe happens here with the Gypsy King in this one um well, I suppose the story you're kind of alluding to is whether he's taking this fight as seriously as he's taking the Wilder fights. Um, it would be hard not to have had a massive overload of confidence from those last two fights with Wilder, wouldn't it? Both in his own physical prowess, his punching power, his ability to dominate a dangerous opponent. It would be easy to believe that he could be high on that and perhaps not take White as seriously, as has been commented um, by... Uh, colleagues in the boxing press who I respect, um, will the, will he miss that needle? Will his preparation have missed the needle of someone he really wants to set about and, and prove a point against um, because he's not had that face-to-face -face interaction to feed off? And he is someone who feeds off that kind of energy, I think. Um, so there is always that possibility and he does have that erratic preparation in his background, as we know. But... Um, I'm reasonably confident that he's going to be in good shape, well prepared. He seems to be continuing to live the life that he's, the new life that he's found over the last three or four years. So hopefully um, we'll see a very good version of, of Tyson. And the one thing that's certain about him is that whatever White brings to the ring, he has the physical dimensions and the ability and the, and the kahunas uh, to quote uh, a phrase from the other side of the pond, uh, necessary to, to come through any sticky spots he finds himself in. He's proven that time and time again, hasn't he? Um, 
which is not to say that White might not put him in trouble at some point because Fury does give you chances. Um, but I'm confident that Fury will have enough of whatever is required to win this fight. Okay. Um, so that's my view on, on him. No doubt. It, it, as it pertains to White, I think conventional wisdom, whatever that's worth, is his best chance is the big punch likely the left. Is that, I mean, is it riding, essentially riding on whether he can deliver that big blow and shake this up and shake Fury up? And if he cannot, it's probably an easier, if not easy night for Tyson Fury. Does it come down to that simply whether White can land the big left or the big punch? I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that, to be honest. I don't, um, I don't entirely disrespect Dillian White as a as a fighter. I don't think he's a, just a big overhand right and that's all he's got. I think he's a little bit more seasoned and rounded than that, but at levels below Fury, both in terms of size and in terms of quality. Um, I remember his fight when he boxed. He tried very hard to box studiously against Robert Hellenius, a victory that looks a little bit better in retrospect as Hellenius has had a bit of a, a golden autumn in his own career. Um, but it was tedious and it was difficult to watch. Um, Hellenius wasn't as aggressive as Fury would be. But White never really had him in trouble. He just boxed. And it seemed like he was trying to execute a plan of just boxing, just seeing, going through 10, 12 rounds, whichever it was. Um, I don't think he'll have that luxury of being trying to box with Fury. So I think he will have to be aggressive. I think that is true. Um, and he may hope for this to get a little bit messy. He might want... Fury to come in and have a brawl, wrestle around. Um, he's a big, strong guy. I know he's significantly shorter in, in height, but he's a big, big 250, 260 pound sort of guy um, with good strength. I think he will probably want it to be quite chaotic and messy. I think that's what probably what he'll want. Um, he certainly won't want to be at distance. But I don't think necessarily, again, mistaken as I may be, I don't think Fury will want it to be a distance fight. I don't think it's the black and white of the boxer and the puncher. I think it's a little bit more mixed up than that. Um, and I think Fury will not want to just pose his way through 10, 12 rounds and box from the outside. I think he will want to have a scrap. Um, so I think that gives White a little bit of a chance because I think in close quarters when it's messier, more punches being thrown, exchanging blows, taking blows, giving blows. He may just about be the puncher in the fight to some extent. Um, so, yeah. That's what I boiled down to. Um, I'm 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 strong on Fury in this. I'm trying to disguise it slightly here today, but I'm, okay. I'm strong on Fury on this. But I'm well, not writing. I'm not writing White off as a one punch merchant. I'm trying not to do that. I understand, and I, I should point out to the audience again. This man said over and over again, "It's Fury. It's Fury against Wilder. It's Fury against Wilder," and proved to be correct, fandom or not. I understand. I understand the insight on this. One more before you go, because again, I pre I appreciate your historical perspective. It is the first time that a British a heavyweight champ has defended at least a portion of the title against another Brit since Lennox Lewis and Frank Bruno. And you know, that rings the bell. You and I are nostalgic uh, contemporaries here. That rings the bell on that. Obviously, Anthony Joshua defended the unified title in London, in the UK several times, but not against another Brit for you as somebody that enjoys the sport so much. Does this make the fight a nine, a 10, an 11 or a 12 that it's a Brit against another Brit from that standpoint? One more time. Um, I think it's it's kind of a nice it's a nice touch. It's nice that it's back in Britain and not in some far flung despotic place in the Middle East. It's good that it's here in the UK, although we've got a despot of his own. But we won't get into politics. Um, so it, 
that's good. It's nice. It's a, it, there's a neatness to it, isn't there? And it gives us that historic reflection back from Lewis and Bruno, which was a terrific fight in which the underdog was doing an awful lot better than anyone expected him to do. And had Lewis in a little bit of bother and not sure what to do until the usual Bruno got caught and then it all changed. Um, so that's good. But to me, TJ, as I've said on this pod many times, the bigger thing is you've got the number one guy in the division fighting what, number four, number five, number three, where are we putting him? He's fighting one of the best guys around that's available. And that's what we really what we want, irrespective of nationalities. We hope he goes from this one and then fights Usyk, if that can be done, or Joshua, whoever might emerge from that fight, however that that story unravels. Um, um, so, yes, I've just it's just a good fight, isn't it? It's a good fight. Dillian White has his limitations. He's got his own story that's a bit erratic too, the Povetkin defeat and win and so on the struggles with Chisora the craziness of the beginning of his career and and the whole narrative about he deserved his shot for three years etc there's some truth and there's some non-truth in that Um, but ultimately what it really boils down to is the number one guys fighting a legitimate contender who's got a chance and that's what we really want irrespective of nationality we're looking forward to all of it again the boxing writer on social media he may be on his feet at the bell even when he's watching on the telly uh we shall see he'll be writing about it as well boxingwriter.co.uk david Payne, i always love the insight had to have you had to have you before fury and white Let's see what happens, and I look forward to talking to you after it's all over with to see what's going on. Thank you, my friend, for helping us preview it on Big Fight Weekend. Always enjoyable. Um, Great to be on, TJ. Thanks for the invite. Love that man. Love his insight, and we'll be reading him up in the aftermath of whatever happens with Fury and White. Dan Rayfield is back one more time. Um, Hopefully we get an exciting one on Saturday. I know you and I are eagerly anticipating, without further delay, what do we think happens here with uh, Fury making the first ever defense of his title in his homeland? He obviously defended it with the win over Deontay Wilder when last we saw him in October. Dan, what do you think happens here now as we get into this one? I think that you're looking at a Tyson Fury victory. Uh, all respect to Dillian White, but Tyson Fury has been at another level in, in the last few years. Now that he's got his act together, he's cleaned himself up, feels like he's doing the right things in training camp. I was really struck, by the way, TJ, a couple of days ago, when they did the workout and uh, I saw, I watched some of that, you know, he was in the ring hitting the mitts with Sugar Hill, his trainer, and, and then did some interviews and such, but he looked to be in tremendous condition. I mean, and, and if people are familiar with Tyson Fury, they know he's not a, a bodybuilder type of uh, heavyweight. Um, and and he, he has the talent where that's clearly obvious. He doesn't need to be that way. And I use the example many times of a Larry Holmes that never looked like he was in phenomenal shape, but obviously he knew what he was doing. and could take a shot. It could go 15 rounds and also knock your head off. So Tyson Fury's never looked like he was, you know, the spelt cut heavyweight champion, but he really looked good uh, the other day. So I feel like that he's in great shape physically, uh, in a great place mentally, uh, very excited to be having this mega event, getting paid a tremendous amount of money to do it. Um, and I just feel like his talent level is just a notch above Dillian White, who I believe is going to also be in great condition, fight his rear end off. Uh, and it's going to be a good, fun fight. But I just feel like uh, Tyson Fury has a lot more intangibles, has a bit more versatility. Uh, has the bigger size, has the longer reach, has some some of those uh, things you can't necessarily measure that that are going to carry him to a victory. Uh, but like he said, you know, we're going to go out there and you know uh, and just give the the fans, and someone's going to get get knocked out. It's going to be either him or me, as opposed to who else. There's only two of you guys in the ring, unless you hit the referee by accident. Uh, 
But uh, I'm expecting a pretty interesting fight. And in the end, I'm talking about a Tyson Fury knockout. And, you know, you said uh, to me earlier, you were looking at the odds that, that it was a nine and a half on BetUS was the over-under. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of lean towards the under. Not so not a lot, not by a lot, but I think we're talking about maybe, you know, seven, eight, nine. And uh, and that's all she wrote. That's certainly how he got to Wilder in the last fight uh, as the fight wore on and was the better fighter and the fresher fighter as the fight wore on. Same kind of question that I have asked to the previous guests is Dillian White's only hope really for the big upset is the monster punch that just is a game changer in this fight. I don't know that he can tactically outbox Fury. That's me saying that. What I is his recipe to win? I, I think you're right about that. I mean, again, uh, Dillian White's a very competent fighter. He's a worthy challenger. He's been among the top four or five heavyweights in boxing for several years. Uh, I don't think it's unreasonable at this moment in time to rank him ahead of a Deontay Wilder just based on resume. Uh, but he doesn't have that natural boxing ability to outslick a, a quick uh, guy like Fury, even though he's such a massive person, he's light on his feet. He's got pretty good skills. He's got a very snappy jab. And, uh, you know, Dillian White's been more of a, you know, getting your chest and kind of grind it out kind of tough, hard fight. And he's sort of, you know, out outlasted some opponents in tough fights. I'm not sure he can do that against a Tyson Fury and do enough to win seven rounds in that manner. So, uh, but he does carry a good punch. Just ask, uh, you know, any number of opponents that he's knocked out. Uh, Alexander Povetkin, for example, I mean, in their rematch, not the first fight, which he was on the other end of that knockout. Uh, but as I said, Tyson Fury, if he's got one detriment, you know, one negative part of him is that he does get hit uh, when he mixes it up and he's been knocked down several times. And so it's not out of the realm of possibility that Dillian White, you know, who's a pretty accurate puncher, could land that kind of shot and get him off his feet and perhaps keep him down. Uh, but all that said, I, as I've said many times, I've thought this ever since the fight was made. It's not just in the fight between him and White, but also between Fury and other guys is that he just has the ability to do more. He's a more versatile fighter. He can he can box going forward. He can go backwards. He does have the punch. And it makes me think about when he went into the rematch against uh, Deontay Wilder. And, he, and you know, we would ask him in the media sessions, well, how are you going to win the fight? It's like, I'm going right at him. So what are you talking about? You're the boxer. He's, you know, I said you boxed and most people thought you won doing that in the first fight, which they ultimately ruled a draw, even though he had uh, been down two times. Um, he says, well, I didn't win, though. So if I didn't win uh, on the official scorecards doing my boxing style, I'm going to change it up. I'm going straight to him. We all thought he was full of shit. But what did he do? <laughs> he went out there and he went straight to him and proved and knocked him out in a dominating fashion. You know, first fight is kind of close. Second fight was all Tyson Fury. Third fight was back and forth, up and down, both guys. So if he was able to do that and uh, and deliver the victory by by going straight to him, and we know he's a capable boxer, he just can do so many more things. I feel like than Dillian White. Uh, just a matter of which which way he chooses to go uh, on Saturday. That's well, we why I think see. he wins. And I think Tyson Fury does win. I believe with you, it's like it's probably something like a ninth or tenth round stoppage. That is a very tough 
to decipher over under on nine and a half rounds as far as I'm concerned. I think the odds makers have done a good job there. Again, Fury right about a six to one. He was seven to one or six and a half to one earlier in the week, six to one on the bet US line as we get ready for the weekend. And one more reminder, by the way, uh, I've already uh, promoted this once during the podcast. We'll promote it one more time here that if you are looking to wager, take advantage of our promo code offer BFW22 at bet US, you get a 125% match bonus. If you're an initial depositor, if you're just signing up for the first time, Whatever you put in up to $1,000, they'll match it 125%. I'll do the math for you. You put 100 in, you get $125 to wager from them. You put 200 in, you get 250 to wager. On your initial deposit, use our promo code BFW22, and you've got a chance to get in uh, with, uh, with uh, BetUS. BetUS.com, the BetUS app. You bet, you win, you get paid. It's all guaranteed through BetUS. Go check it out and use our promo code bfw 22 but that over under i think is set right there at about where it should be i think fury ultimately wins but dan this is the great thing about heavyweight boxing boxing in general but heavyweight boxing one punch can change it all uh fury suffered a nasty cut as you know against Otto valine it changed that whole fight one punch that hurts him or drops him could change it all that one more time that's what we're tuning in for saturday on espn plus in the united states on bt sport in the uk Check your provider worldwide if you're hearing us on however you find the fight. That's why we're going to tune in and watch. It's also, by the way, it's not even just, you know, like with the Crawford-Porter fight, it was just ESPN+. Plus. Uh, this fight is not only can you, if you if you have ESPN+, Plus, you can order it through there, but it's also on just regular old, you know, in-demand pay-per-view, uh, your satellite services. It's, it's, it's available everywhere. Um, you know, they're going to have a giant audience probably in Britain, maybe not quite, definitely not as much here in America, given that's not American fighters and it's taking place at an earlier time than we're used to. But the diehard boxing fans that want to see the heavyweight championship, they know how to find it. They'll find it. And uh, I just hope that it lives up to the hype. Let's hope that it does. Listen, phenomenal job with me. We've, we've done a lot. We've talked news. We've talked nostalgia with Lennox Lewis getting knocked out by Haseem Rahman. Uh, great stories from Dan Rayfield on that. And now let's get to Fury and Dillian White. And if it is a Fury victory, then we're a step closer to the undisputed. And, and look, I mean, Dillian White could mess all this up. And you pointed out before, just real quick, one more time, there's not an automatic rematch clause here. As much as you might think there might be, might Dillian White go for the undisputed thing if he pulls the upset? I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. But Fury's looking to that. If he gets the victory, we'll find out. Dan, great job throughout the podcast. Thank you. Always appreciate the insight. And again, uh, we'll be reading Dan before and after this fight on BigFightWeekend.com as well as his Fight Freaks Unite Substack. Go find it on Substack.com. Dan, great stuff. Thank you. Enjoy the fight. All right, TJ, I'm sure we'll be reconvening to break it all down when it's all said and done. Looking forward to that. The Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast will be coming, and let's see if we're talking about a Fury win or a white upset. Thanks also to Sean with TopHeavyweights.com, David Payne, the boxing writer, boxingwriter.co.uk. Check those guys out on their sites and their social media. Again, we're at Big Fight Weekend on social media, Facebook, Twitter, BigFightWeekend.com. Uh, for Dan Rayfield, I'm merely TJ Reeves. Thank you for hanging with us. Enjoy. Fury and Dillian White from the UK, and you've been hearing all about it on the Big Fight Weekend Preview Podcast.